Welcome to the Gregarious Mammal Podcast. This is Chris. And this is Kate. And we are going to have a little bit of a theme to our links this episode. Um, basically because it's been in the news so much and we've personally been thinking and writing about it quite a lot that we thought we would dedicate a whole episode. We're going to call this episode, well I'm going to call this episode, even though it's a bit of a specific title for a broad topic, Coders Are King. And I'm controversially and intentionally using the word king. Kate, what are we going to be covering? We're going to be taking a look at the tech sector, looking at diversity, looking at examples where this has been an issue, looking at how people have responded and found solutions, looking at the ways we can do better, basically. So we're not just going to sit and complain about everything, but we're actually going to look at what are the solutions, what kinds of things can we do to make things better. Mm, and also around the issues of how people are becoming increasingly less positive about the tech industry. Um, why is this? What could be done about it? Uh, and this is why I opened with the controversial statement. I put a lot of these recent developments and problems down to the fact that developers are just given their own way too much and um, for various reasons, and this causes some problems. But let's uh, – I think – I might kick off with uh, what piqued my interest in this area, and we're mm -hmm. going to go through a few links broadly, not in any great detail, and just discuss the topic. So um, I recently delivered two talks uh, in Belgrade and Zagreb, and then I've also just done a, a, a YouTube version of this talk on um, kind of, I suppose, the, the ethics of tech, the looking at how just because you can make something doesn't mean you should doesn't mean you should always be pushing the boundaries just to show how smart you are. Think about what you're doing. Think about the impacts. Think about the uh, impacts you hadn't even thought about. Sometimes mm -hmm. engineers have their technologies abused by other people. The unintended consequences. Think about your bias. And again, your subconscious biases. Um, as a white middle-class male, you might not intentionally be racist or sexist, but you just may not think about how these other people think, those sorts of aspects. And Kate, I think you had a sort of specific area of interest that whilst I was doing these these talks, something came into your mind. Yeah, I mean, going to conferences uh, and particularly going to conferences that are very developer-focused, I see um, a difference. Um, to, give you a, to give you an explanation f about that statement, I do go to a lot of enterprise based events where it is lots of people in suits, uh, lots of uh, middle or upper, o older, shall we say, men. Uh, lots of uh, There's usually a reasonable amount of business women as well. There's lots of PR people. There's lots of press, that kind mm. of stuff. When you go, by comparison, when you go to a developer event, you may find it being lots of white, younger men or, or men that are under 40, shall we say. Mm. And there mm. will be women, but there will be a lot less women. Uh, and you'll often find that where women are present, they're either behind the scenes organising things or they're volunteering. Yeah. This is actually very true. This was this was especially uh, noticeable at these conferences in the Balkans and also uh, Eastern Europe more broadly. And actually mm. there are a lot of women volunteers and a lot yeah, of definitely. actually a not a bad quantity of women in attendance but not many speakers and this is sort of where 
you were, were thinking about? Yeah, it's it's an interesting issue and it's one that comes up a lot. I mean, I've spoken to quite a few people. I was writing a piece about this for D-Zone that will hopefully come out by the time we release this about looking at the, you know, what are the problems with diversity in conferences? What can we do to deal with it? And what are some success ways that people have been able to, you know, get work around it and make things happen, make things change? And the thing I'd start by saying when we talk about this, it's very easy to be an armchair activist or a keyboard warrior, to sit behind your keyboard and complain about, well, where's all the women on the stage or where's all the people from who are gender diverse or... Um, uh, from a different um, sexual orientation than yourself or a different um, socioeconomic group or ethnic diversity or what have you, whatever kind of equity or diversity that you feel is important, it's very easy to, to sit spot the difference and say, well, you know, I'm looking at a stage, there's lots of white men. Where I think it gets a bit harder is when you actually get into the, well, how do we fix it? And I've spoken to a number of men who've said to me, well, They believe in the practice of not attending conferences if there's an underrepresentation of diverse groups or refusing to be speakers. So to them, that's that's one way of addressing the um, imbalance or not being on a panel if there's only men on the panel. Mm. Um, In turn, I've, um, I've also spoken to people that have said, you know, we need to strip this back and to get down to... Where are the people in, in tech and why? what stops them from coming to this conference? And let's face it, you know, you look at a, um, a speaker list or a topic list and you see it's the same. Uh, and this is probably something I'm most critical about. Often it's the same people speaking. I've, I know this particularly in the enterprise space. You will see the same uh, man, people in, you know, executive positions across the different uh, conferences in Internet of Things, for example, uh, often giving the same speech. <laughs> so, you know, you know that sometimes they're selected, sometimes they pay to speak as part of their sponsorship package, so mm. it becomes that kind of thing. But There's also a lot of people where it's their job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I've done that job myself, actually. Yeah. Um, That's right. Yeah. But I think a couple of things to think about when we get down to it. I mean, firstly... What can we do to make people want to come to conferences, one? And secondly, what can we do to make people want to be speakers? Mm-hmm. I think um, if we look at that first one about att- attendance as, as an issue, uh, Web Summit is a really good example. They acknowledged about, I don't know, a few years ago that um, women were vastly underrepresented, both as attendees and as speakers. The last Web Summit, they gave away 14,000 free tickets to women. Uh, and also offer discounts. Thousand. Yeah, and offer discounts to men who put forth women to be speakers and things like that. And it was almost 50-50. I think it was 40-something, 47 or something something like that. Mm. I'm pretty sure I saw it on their Facebook page. Um, I think these practices, having equity scholarships, having discounted tickets, um, considering where practical, looking at things like childcare, it's often one that we don't get talked about. And the reality in tech is people are getting older, people are having mm. families, and I say both uh, parents in, in that scenario. It shouldn't be just the woman's responsibility. Um, thinking about access requirements in regards to disabilities, um, are the, uh, you know, beanbags might be great, but if you've got people coming to the conference who are going to have trouble getting up and down, if they're a bit older and they've got mobility issues or anything that you may may or may not 
uh, know about, mm. it might, might be a pain. Uh, one example I saw recently was a conference that had a, a games room, which was really, really loud. It was um, sh- shuttleboard and there was pinball. What were the other ones, Chris? Um, oh, uh, air hockey. Air hockey. I, I had to suddenly think about what conference we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But it was super, super loud, super, super bright, um, busy, busy. And I would imagine for for some people with sensory kind of issues, to walk in, in and out of that room every time you wanted to go to the bathroom would be just like, whoa. <laughs> so it's – and it's thinking about some of those things to start with. But then I think if we get into the side of it of – um, okay, we want to change who's being who's speaking. Firstly, I've mentioned the the issue of challenging uh, having the same old people all the time. Mm-hmm. Secondly, think about where are the people that you want to reach? Uh, where are they in your community? And it's interesting. Uh, when I was in Belgrade, I asked the conference organisers about the challenge of being able to get women along to the conferences as speakers. Mm-hmm. And they said the problem they had was that when they approached women locally – they weren't interested in speaking. People were most interested from America um, or, you know, a bit further away, if you like. I'd just like to very quickly challenge what you said about not interested. I'd actually probably replace that by saying they didn't feel confident enough. This was the next thing I was going to say. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I've mansplained you. Sorry. You sorry. have. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, to put it simply, their, their issue was that the women that were interested, they just – as a community-run conference, which was, you know, largely relying on um, donations, they weren't paying speakers or anything like that. They just couldn't – they didn't have the means to um, to pay for people to fly over and, and so on. But one thing, you know, that I think does get underlooked is look at, look at your local community. Uh, offer, offer mentorship. Offer to give people assistance with calls for proposals. Um, there's a really great day coming up. I'll just get the date. Uh, where is it? Oh my! I wrote I I wrote about it, but I can't see the date. Um, I'll, uh, sorry, February third uh, next year, which is Saturday. There's um a call for proposals day um internationally where people in different cities are encouraging people from diverse backgrounds to come along to an event and get some help with um preparing a um a conference abstract or or you know something like that um I think that's a really nice way to do it. And, of course, that can be done very organically through meetup groups, um, even encouraging people to get their start in public speaking at some of those smaller events like your meetups or your, you know, your, your shorter pitching or what have you. Uh, even just, you know, thinking about changing some of the ways that we do speaking at conferences, the, uh, I don't know, the auditorium experience where you've got a big room full of people and a a stage and, you know, you've got the microphone and all that sort of stuff can be really intimidating to a lot of people and a turn off if that's not your kind of what, what you, what you work with or what you write about or what have you, there may be a better way to do it. Maybe it's doing Mm. offering workshops. Maybe Mm. it's doing more hands-on practical things where people are observing rather than just having to to listen to someone. Maybe it's doing a walking presentation where people can walk with you or, you know, another finding a, a different way to do it. And, you know, I would encourage people as well to contact conferences with these suggestions. Like I said at the start, it's very easy to sit and complain but ultimately, conference organisers can only work with what they get. So you need people to be coming forward. You need um, 
if, if you're a man in power and you've done lots of talking, offer to help people, um, put forward names of people you think would be good speakers, like be part of the solution, not just kind of, you know, part of the problem if you can put it that way. And I guess the reason that we bring this up and where we're going to transition to now is this, um, well, this, this, yeah, this, uh, there's the dominance of tech broadly that's happening in the world at the moment, which we're going to get to. But then there's a dominance of a particular type of person in tech that is possibly part of the same problem. We're not sure. And I think one of the interesting aspects here is you've talked about uh, women, or actually, no, you've talked about different genders. Um, And, I mean, in most of the world, the split of genders is reasonably even. But one of the interesting things that actually came up in conversation as well, especially in kind of Eastern Europe, was when it came to talking about people from other sorts of backgrounds. These are very Mm -hmm. monocultural places. And actually they said to us, hey, I love what you're talking about. We'd love to find more diverse people. But there aren't any here. What do we do? And this was actually a very interesting perspective I hadn't thought about. It's a really good point. I mean, I don't know how many people um, from, say, you know, say Japan for sake of argument, Mm, would go mm, to mm. Belgrade on a either to do some kind of student exchange or as an expat um, and happen to work in tech and happen to want to come along to this particular conference. So let's jump into a few of these articles and we'll just sort of touch on them loosely and discuss around them a bit. So the the first one that I came across, and it's been really in the news the past sort of month, and we'll get into the um, the more specific uh, recent news in a minute, but so one of the first that came up in kind of this field for me was actually, yeah, now nearly a month ago uh, in The Guardian, uh, Our Minds Can Be Hijacked, The Tech Insiders Who Fear a Smartphone Dystopia. Mm. And I guess so this feeds a little bit into some elements of my uh, presentation around that a lot of engineers are for their negatives and some of those negatives about lack of diversity and et cetera, et cetera, and subconscious biases and et cetera, et cetera. A lot of them are fairly naive about how their inventions can be used. Uh, And I've also brought up the example of something like Frankenstein's monster. It's fiction, obviously, but... Um, I've got to question you there. I mean, do you think they're naive? I mean, if you're given a... Some, 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 some. And the article Chris is referring to um, mentions, for example, social media, where the aim was that people would become, I don't know, addicted, if we can call it that, or to rely on the reinforcement, you know, the positive reinforcement that you get from likes or comments Mm. or what have you on posts. Like, you know, if you're going to make something like that, you would have, as the person making it, I don't think you'd just be... So so having a little bit more experience of um, this how development companies work, especially at a large scale. Firstly, I would say that a lot of developers are not always fully aware of an algorithm they're working on and how it's going to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be out of ignorance. Really? It could be out of naivety. It could be out of just not caring because I come back to this over and over again that uh, there's a certain mindset of especially more complicated developing where you just want to tackle the problem. You don't actually even think about what it is. Like, uh, I'm working on an algorithm to increase the efficiency of targeting mechanisms. Well, you might go on an abstract there and think, well, that's about weapons. But who says? You know, you don't think about it. Um, A mapping technology could be used by the army. It could be used by Medicine Sans Frontier. You know, who knows? Um, (coughs) 
and yeah, uh, I think there's a certain naivety to it. There's a certain showing off to it. Um, I, I mean, to be honest with you, we could go on and on with reeling off links for this show. There was even oh, one I read this so morning <laughs> about Sean Parker, one of the initial founders of Facebook. Oh, yeah. And he claims that both him and Mark Zuckerberg and one of the other founders were well aware of all this, whereas mm. I have never been really that sure about that. I, I really don't know. It's really hard to say. But have a read of this link anyway, people. It's a little old now. But just, I suppose, that when we talk about these kind of inventors who regret their inventions, we tend to talk about, we tend to talk about historical ones. Um, and this is very recent, of course. So already people are starting to regret their inventions and seeing the, the power that it has. And you, um, you know yeah. what? I, um, I actually read a piece um, this morning about, uh, I think it was three women who went along to a... Uh, technology detox weekend mm. uh, where you could not use your phone or what have you. Um, mm. You put it in this little box and they'd given you all these other activities you could do that you could choose from, you know, fishing and marshmallow toasting and all this sort of stuff. Sounded like a really lovely kind of out, in, out of the way kind of place. And out of the three women, two of them couldn't last a day without getting onto their phones. Mm. <laughs> Well, um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think this is this is whole. I think we've talked about this before. I don't think yeah. we've actually. Um, I don't think we've completely uh, included that sort of area in. in I this guess show. I'm, we, we've, I we've guess I'm thinking of before. this the side of like when we're talking about you know people being. Um, getting their their value or their esteem or what have you from mm. things like social media, like, it kind of comes into it. Well, actually, okay, here, here is a good uh, segue. We, we're mm. sort of jumping around a bit here. but So this is an article from the Bold Italic. It's a medium post. Um, the writer is from scripted.com. I'm not 100% sure um, what that is exactly, but the article popped up. It's a little bit, um, I don't know, I sometimes find these kind of uh, posts sometimes a little um, irritating to read because they're contriving a situation to emphasise a point. But the point is reasonable, even if it's exaggerated. And basically the article is a sort of summary of a day. um, And it really makes me think of... The Circle by David Eggers, very much so. <laughs> and also Black Mirror and all these sorts of shows we've talked about before. But it basically says, you know, um, you woke up, um, your smartphone is three inches away from you, you check it, you go to yoga, you can't focus on yoga because you need to email someone. Mm-hmm. Um, you order your coffee and whilst in line you're frustrated because it's taking so long Um you go to have a meeting, but all you ever do is uh, communicate with other people who aren't in that meeting and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm. et cetera, about multitasking, about not being in the moment, about not focusing, about being addicted to making sure that ratings and things like that are uh, all kept up. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's contrived, but... 
It's contrived, yeah. but to some people it is very much their experience. So it's yeah. easy to kind of wave your hands. You go, oh, these millennials and, you know, I, w- I would question if it's just millennials. I think all of us have a little, a little bit of those problems and oh, some greater I, I than others. Well, I actually think our generation is worse than the millennials, to be honest with you. Quite possibly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was also an interesting article that I guess feeds into some of the, the, the first point, this... Did the engineers and the product people behind creating these sorts of so life-engrossing products, did did they intentionally make them like this or did they naively not ever think this would happen? I suppose this is one mm. of the aspects that is most interesting here. And I, being optimistic, despite how I may sound, I think it's the latter. I don't think people thought it would be like this. I think when people say I'm going to make a messaging system so people can be in touch with you all the time, I, mm. I actually genuinely, semi-genuinely, naively think that the people behind this didn't necessarily think that that would be the consequence. And I guess you have to know. think as well yeah. that, like, if we're going to look at Facebook as just, just one of the examples, there's many examples. I mean, when you had Facebook, there wasn't all that much of the the newcomers uh, at that time, like you didn't have YouTube, for example. Um, I actually came across an article this week about young kids and their engagement with YouTube. Mm. And it was basically called On YouTube Kids, Startling Videos Slip Past Filters. Actually, and we listened to this on the news this morning as well. And I think this is an interesting aspect, again, of... um, So in this case, it wasn't necessarily the... um, the developers of YouTube for Kids that wanted to make a backdoor, but it's that people find a way through these yeah. backdoors. And the problem of giving everything to an algorithm coming into this kind of biasing aspect is that there is a, there is a lack of human experience, diverse human experience to kind of say, well, this is a cartoon, but this isn't a kid's cartoon. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and in some respects with this especially, how remarkably easy it was to, yeah. to get around this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's quite astonishing. I mean, and, and you know, let's, let's face it, what an adult might think is frightening for a child could be wildly different to um, what, what actually frightens a child. I mean, mm. it, it's funny. I, I remember as a child um, growing up in the early 80s, the Exorcist being a big kind of film, even then. And mm. I remember my parents had the book, <laughs> the, the actual written book that came out before the film, and I was scared of the actual book to the extent I remember um, when I was very young writing a note to my mum saying, can you please take this book out of the house? It's evil. And <laughs> I, was, I had a very vivid imagination, clearly, as a child. I might add, having older brothers doesn't help this kind of stuff. <laughs> the 80s was a big time for horror films, of course. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like these kinds of things. Like you wouldn't think a book would frighten a child. But people have uh, – and I might add, this is a, a book with no pictures. <laughs> but, you know, some, of, some of the videos in this uh, that, that are described in this article, some – yeah, I mean, to me, they don't seem that bad. Some are actually 
pretty pretty horrible. So. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there was an article um, along with this one, which was the one I think I was originally thinking of, that was talking about how children's behaviour has changed due to these mm. videos, because and it talked about the kind of DIY um, setup of all these kids, sometimes with their parents or their siblings or themselves, writing all these videos to the extent that the parents would say to them, like the very young children at times. Who are you talking to? And they would mm. be pretending to talk to a camera uh, all the time. Like it was like the the they would see the the kids on the YouTube as their friends. They couldn't necessarily differentiate between you know them as people on the TV and people that weren't their friends and all this kind of stuff. It's super interesting. I don't think that's necessarily a new phenomenon. I think kids have been inventing friends for a long time. Mm. They just come from whatever the interaction medium happens to be at the time. I think. I don't know. We're not talking from positions of experience. <laughs> not so much. But, yeah, yeah. If, people, if people out there have kids, you're more than welcome to set us straight if we're um, completely off target. I guess in terms of unintended consequences, you have this kind of unintended... Yeah, yeah. I think it's a perfect example. Unintended consequence. I think one of the bits of advice that I gave in my presentation was when you create something, think about what's the worst that could happen. That would be one of my big things to say. It's like, think about what is the worst thing that could happen and work back from there. And once you've thought about the worst that can happen, try to integrate into your your development process, like, so that couldn't happen. <laughs> and mm. it may be extreme, but you would and wouldn't be surprised what people would try to do with your creations. So, yeah. Very Frankenstein. <laughs> well, I think if you're going to resurrect a dead person, I think wow. that's a different, well, a different level. <laughs> uh, you, can, you can talk to Colonel about that. They're already working at that. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> a, um, okay. I don't even know what you're referring to, but okay, this is... All right. So kind of moving on into um, some other... Taking this to an extreme here. There's There's been this increasing content around this and... and yeah, it's weird how it's just suddenly happened. I think the election of Trump was a watershed moment for this. So this is, again, an article from The Guardian. Uh, Shame to work in Silicon Valley, how techies became the new bankers. Um, mm. And then an article in TechCrunch um, about... It's slightly connected. At the end of the startup era, um, just these aspects of... How, I suppose, for various reasons, technology has stopped being the, the, the punks and started being either the establishment that you want to counter or just um, establishment and just vanishing into the, into the, 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 the background more. Um, and I think also all the revelations around tax dodging and things like that haven't helped. Um, what are your thoughts, Kate? I mean... Do you would you feel ashamed now to tell someone what you do as a job? <laughs> well, not me as a lowly tech journalist who's a freelancer. No, 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 no. <laughs> not so much. Think about think about this. Think about this from perspective. In fact, you could say even more so. You are responsible for propagating the popularity of these companies. Yeah, I can choose what I write though. As a freelancer, I have a lot of control. Um, you know, I can propose topics. I can you know respond to the you know numerous pr- pictures I get every day and choose what I choose to write about. Um, the thing I find most interesting about the whole kind of 
um, I don't know. It's like you said, there was Trump. You've got people questioning the from even before that with the credit crunch and the whole uh, banking scenario in the in the US when that all went to went to hell. Questioning, you know, the the power of people making decisions, you know, in banks and giving money and all that sort of stuff. Then you've got, of course, um, more recently, you've got the Me Too kind of situation where all these women, uh, it's like a waterfall of stories coming out of people that have been harassed or abused in the workplace um, by people in power. And the bigger issue in all of it, when you get down to it, is not just that there's these, uh, you know, power figures that are doing wrong. It's all the people that know about it or knew about it um, but don't, I'd don't like, do anything. Okay, this is a very valid topic, but I'm not sure if it's completely connected to what we're talking about here. <laughs> I, I have, well, obviously there have been cases of harassment, but we're talking about Vine, a, uh, Weinstein, Weinstein and the <laughs> Me Too campaign. Or that None of those were connected to the tech industry. Well, there's been a f- uh, I disagree with you there. There's not, been... not, not those ones in particular anyway. Well, no, but there's been a number of cases recently where people have named and shamed um, VCs, they've named and shamed okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. celebrities in, in tech. The past, there's been yeah. a, quite a number, a, a, quite a number, sorry. Um, but Is I that think... anything in particular to do with... Uh, mm. So actually, could I maybe second guess what you're going to say and... Is it something more like um, people in positions of power will inadvertently or advertently abuse that? And it just so happened that it was, still is politics, it was media, now it's tech. And these people now have such positions of power, they don't always look down enough to understand that their behaviour is not appropriate. Is that maybe... Mm. No, I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I mean, okay. I know what you're trying to say. I mean, if you said to most people, what are the top co- companies in the in the world at the moment, you'd probably find the top five are tech companies when maybe 10 years ago they were banks. I so think has, I mean in terms of like, why now? Why you know, now? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But because know. they're in bigger positions of power than they used to be. I don't know. That's don't kind know. of my reasoning. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what you mean. Well, you know, um, people, when you, when you become in a position of power, you start to lose track of reality a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, in the past, this might have been Hollywood because Hollywood was more powerful. Uh, now, if we even think of the most influential kind of TV and film from recent years, a lot of it has come from tech companies, <laughs> to be blunt. True, true, true. So even, you know, tech has even replaced that vestige of power. So now tech is the new media, is the new, um, yeah, all these previous companies that were the, the banks, yeah. You know, banks were the ones who were brought down 10 years ago. Now it's tech's turn. Yeah, I mean, I, can, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, but I think it's also, you've got this interesting scenario where, you know, when we first think of tech, historically there's been this um, image propagated by the media, mm. if, if you like, and, and the companies themselves, that it's just a bunch of techie people yep. f- that are a bit yep. nerdy from universities yep. and, yep. oh, they're socially awkward as well yep. and all this stuff yep. and, yep. Yep. oh, yep. 
they they don't know what they're doing, and, yeah. and so, some of yeah. them may have um, some type of um, I don't know sensory disorder or Asperger's or what have mm. you. Mm. Um, I'm not naming any names. I'm just saying this is what people say used to say. But now we know that when you talk about startups. Firstly, not all startups are started by tech people. A lot are started by yep. business people with MBAs. Yep. Yep. So they're yep. bringing that business culture in. Yep. Secondly, you've got, um, what, what do they call it, programmers? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind yeah, of... The jocks of invaded programming, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like this idea that, you know, people used to get into stuff because it's deep, um, that's their passion, you know, mm. to be in a, a role where you can sit on a computer all day and do what you like. Mm. But then, it, you know... You get all this money thrown at people, and does that change? As you know, and and then you mentioned power before, like power mm. and money. You know, you know, there's this idea that it always corrupts people and changes them. Mm. And mm. if you've got a, an audience of me too people, and I don't mean to, me too in the sexual mm-hmm. assault mm-hmm. sense, I mean in the yes we love you kind of mm-hmm. culture that will always agree with you and not challenge you. What happens to people? I think we're both basically saying the same thing in different Probably. ways. <laughs> yeah. Probably. But, you know, yeah. and, and look, you know, I'm not suggesting – I've got to say, I mean, I talk to lots of tech companies as do you and, you know, I, I meet plenty of people that are the humblest people you could possibly meet. Um, you know, they've got families, they've got kids, they've um, – <sighs> They're, they're travelled. They they often come come into it in, as a second or third career. So there's, they're not they're not everyone is bringing the ego that that is presented. Okay, and we're not we're not talking about. So okay, yeah. I mean, there's multiple different aspects we're discussing here. Ego is one thing. Ego is one thing in with particular companies, especially when it comes to abuses of power, mm. intentional abuses of power. But I also would like to bring back in what you were saying about the socially awkward. I think this is used as an excuse far too much by engineers and people who protect engineers. It's like, oh, well, they, they can't help themselves. They've got social, they're socially awkward. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. You can get over that, some of that. <laughs> you, you can learn to cope with it better. You can adjust. Just because you're privileged and everyone wants to keep you doesn't mean you can use that as an excuse forever. Yeah, um, if you, particularly yeah. if you're getting paid at above, uh, exactly. you know, those, exactly. some of those salaries you look at, you're kind of like, uh, well, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a really good example. The, um, the article that we both read this week, um, if you, I don't know if you want to get, talk about that now. Yeah, I might have to tell me which article. This the one was. in The Guardian, Ashamed to Work in Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah, the one we're talk- still talking about, yeah. We're still yeah. talking about it. Yeah, like, I don't know if you saw the video that's mentioned, which is a Dropbox video um, that they – that was on YouTube that they've put in the article because um, mm. someone mentioned it, where these uh, a bunch of guys from Dropbox, they want to go and play soccer at the local community playground. Um, the I don't know how entirely it worked, but someone in power in the, count, the local council gave them, um, there was an app an app address or some such. So I think, an, an, I think it was an online booking form or something where they could book a spot in the public mm-hmm. park. They rock up to the park. It's all on video. Um, mm-hmm. They say, oh, you know, we've got this booking and everyone, everyone else in the park is, um, is from an ethnically diverse culture, unlike themselves. They're all these white dudes. Um, and they're saying, well, you know, we've turned up to this park and these guys are like, well, we always play here this time every week. Um, you know, what booking service? You didn't tell us. We've never heard of it. Rah, rah. And, you know, you've got this group of people where they're both kind of arguing with each other and they say, um, and, and the, 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 I guess the, the locals, if you like, 
hit back at the the Dropbox guys and they say, well, look, you know, this is our community. You've just come into it. Like, how long have you been here? And they're like, well, we've been here over a year. They're like, well, we've been here for 20 years. You know, you've taken our, you've taken people's jobs. You've taken people's housing. People are, are, are struggling. This is our park. And it comes to this kind of thing. When, and someone just says, look, why can't we just play together? Look, you know, we'll, we'll break up into teams and get the game going. Let's just sort it out. And then they're like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> but it just shows like these div- how divisive um, being in tech can be. And I think this, when you tie it into this gentrification idea, and it's mm. um, which is a reality in these places. You know, you've got people that have grown up in in cities they can't afford to live in, as and they were born there. Like that's pretty bad. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've got so many uh, such a kind of ongoing mixture of feelings on this subject and so okay here's here's another aspect here's another aspect that so we are two of many voices who have been discussing this recently that's true um but i don't feel like and this isn't just to do with this kind of aspect of things about thinking about what you do about stepping down out of your ivory tower bubble of privilege and actually, now you remind me, I wrote this article over a year ago about um, tech privilege, didn't I? I mean, so I've been you thinking did. about this for some time. Yes, you um, should provide a link to that because it's a good maybe read. Maybe should. It's come up time and time again. Yeah. But this aspect of, like, so what? I, you know, I struggle sometimes to encourage uh, developers to even, like, learn a new language, a programming language, or learn a new aspect of something, let alone encouraging people to change the way they think about stuff like this, especially when you're in a safe little isolated bubble. Why bother? And well. actually, I mean, I posted this on um, on Facebook, ironically, um, a couple of days ago, and I was sort of lamenting these efforts that we've both gone through and others to sort of make people think and just deaf ears, basically. Um, and as someone rightly said, it's like, well, this. Chris, this isn't unique to developers. No, not <laughs> it's, just, at all. it's just because it's the field we move in. Um, I don't know. I yeah. think I think as as I know you you know as well because we've discussed it. But the the privilege is massively. Um, I find a lot of people in tech are very oblivious to it. Like oh, completely, completely. It's not like you know you've got people earning um, over a hundred thousand a year going to jobs where they've got free lunch and free breakfasts and, you know, all the snacks they want and free transport and this and that and, oh, there's a pool on the roof or what have you. And you just, Mm. like, you know, have it. And as people who've both worked in education, we've worked in the community sector um, extensively, you know, before we moved to Berlin, um, you know, we see people working who don't get 1% of any of this kind of stuff, you know? Mm. And sometimes I wish they'd kind of... Like it's, I guess it's like it says in this article. I'll read this par- this little section. It's someone's response. Um, uh, all this feeds into the perception that techies are, according to the former Facebooker, pod people who aren't part of the community. You wake up, get the shuttle bus, go to the bubble of campus, and order food via an app. Mm. And when you get when you get home, uh, you're not a citizen, just a bizarre leech who makes money. He explained. And this this fits right back into the uh, the article we were talking about before, the contrived one. It's basically a kind of over-exaggerated version of that, yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. yeah I, uh, 
And I think that's that's it's like a self fulfilling um, issue, yeah. In some respects, and, and the, look, you know, I, yeah, I would I would say the products that keep people locked in these bubbles. <laughs> yeah, and that because, suit people because, like themselves. Oh, can I can I put a controversial thought here? You go on. Because that's the way they like it. You know, they like living in an isolated bubble instead of having to interact with people who aren't like them. Maybe. Are you saying they're designing for themselves? Yes, this comes back to yeah. the bias. It comes back to I the agree. bias. If, if that's the way you think, then yeah. that's the way you will create. That's right. And I, I, you know, like we, we are sitting here on our own high horses berating people, but we're just as guilty of it ourselves sometimes. We both, oh, of course. Are, we both like to vanish into safe places as well. Everyone's guilty of it, but at least mm-hmm. I suppose we acknowledge it. I, uh, well, I don't know, actually. I'm never sure what's worse. Not knowing you have a problem or knowing you do and not doing anything about it. Yeah, and look, you know, I'm not so, like I sort of said earlier, I'm not suggesting everyone at tech is in fault or every company is at fault. Not at all. There are a lot of people that are highly ethical, highly thoughtful about some of this stuff. I know um, here in Berlin, for example, people are creating a, um, a bit of a think tank to look critically at um, the decisions people are making and why, and they're kind of looking at AI, but they've got a bunch of people involved mm. there. So, you know, people are there, – there is a time and a place for – uh, I guess reflection, if we can call it that. Um, you know, not everyone has to go out there and be working on the food van. That's not always the best use of someone's talents. There could be other things people can be doing. But, but like you said, it's you know, even it's like we say with um, Internet of Things, you need to embed um, security into the design f- uh, thought and the design focus, not just have it as an afterthought. It's almost like with some of this stuff, you need to embed ethics from the original kind of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like imagine going to a, I don't know, a shark's tank type scenario or a, um, a pitching competition where people are asking the, you know, the, uh, the speed, you know, the pitcher, what about your, you know, what are the ethical consequences of your product um, or something like that? You know, you could get people really thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a Controversial uh, question here. You go on. Hypothetically, yeah. Let's let's say in um, five to ten years we fix in quote marks whatever that really means, whatever our definition of fixed is. Yeah. Um, the diversity issue. There's more women. There's more people from rich and poor backgrounds. There's more people from various diverse backgrounds in technology. Do you think it will change anything? Or do you think that as people get absorbed into this privileged system, they almost forget their background and just become like everybody else? That's uh, such a good question. Yeah, it's. I, I can see two things. I can, you know, like to give you an example. Now there are a lot of workplaces I see in tech, and let's face it, in it, pretty much every sector in tech, there's a skill shortage for programmers is one example Mm. um you know whether it's iot or it's ai or it's vr or what have you there's always people screaming for um people to take the roles and Mm. to make the technology you know and um because of that everyone has all these kind of uh, maybe bounty programs is the term i'm not sure what the actual term is Mm. where if you um, recommend people for jobs and they get at your workplace they get the job um you get some, you get a bonus or something like that. I'm always a little bit critical of it for one reason, and you know I'm not suggesting this is the case every time, not at all. But 
I, I wonder how that um, influences diversity. Like I, we tend to hang around socially with people that are like us, mm-hmm. maybe people that like the same things, people that are, um, you know, maybe we like the same uh, same kind of social activities or we have the same political views or whatever it is. Um, but by, by having these kind of scenarios, are, are we kind of bringing more people into the herd to be like you? Oh, you ended very abruptly there. <laughs> I, was taking, I think I was kind of... I, I, I ran out of breath there. <laughs> I was nodding away and then suddenly you'd finished. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, listeners. Yeah, um, you know, are, are we just keeping the status quo by doing this? What do you yeah. reckon, Chris? And this is where I, what I say time and time again, diversity is not always skin deep. Yeah, and that probably is, 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 a, is a perspective. Uh, and we assume, like, it's, it's sort of in some respects, again, in quote marks, in very big quote marks, easy to check and monitor diversity for race and gender and things like that because it's a little bit more obvious yeah but if you want to increase diversity for opinions on a particular subject how how do you do that i don't know Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah. and and i think the other thing that that i always see and to give you an example i um i remember going to an event i think i think it was um tech open air recently uh or maybe just late summer where i went to a, a session on ai and they were trying to do a bit of an ethical panel which mm. was great, a great idea. But all the speakers were people with PhDs. <laughs> and mm, you're kind of mm, like, well, mm. you know, it's kind of you guys having a wank fest because you've, you're privileged enough to have a PhD and, and, you know, benefited from an education, talking about things that, you know, it was a great, it was very interesting, great, great discussion. But, you know, I wonder how many other people's interactions aren't being heard. Mm. I don't know, Kate, there's been a lot of discussions of this in the media, yeah, and I don't really I, know where I, I kind of talk about it a lot and don't come to any complete conclusions. I think there's <laughs> so. lots of solutions. I mean, yeah. like I mentioned with the, um, like for example, the call for diversity day, where they're helping people put forward their um, proposals for conferences. Um, I think when it comes to, to workplaces as well. There is anything to do with like supporting people, mentoring. There are companies that do this really, really well, like the Linux mm. Foundation, um, Buffer, for example. I'm sure there's many, many companies. Like people are aware of, of diversity and as a challenge and making people feel wo- welcome and, and supported in a workplace. Mm. Um, we know from being involved in the Unicorns in Tech group here in Berlin, which is for people that are, you know, queer queer diverse and their allies we go along to some of the events they um have some really great um examples of companies that make make people feel supported they have um whether it's you know through positive practices it's mentoring like i said before it's having get-togethers for people so that they don't feel they're 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 one in a crowd just different Mm. ways of really um bringing this forth and there are a lot of people working in this area you know there are a lot of people trying to bring yeah. diversity out and to make an effort. And where I guess where it needs to, the one the one thing I'd like to see is we see a lot of it being uh, people having to put themselves forward, be self disclosing, mm. having to make the effort on their part. It would be nice for for organisations to have things set up in the first place, so people mm. aren't having to ask or to do the work themselves. Mm. 
you know. I think I'm just, I don't know, I sometimes feel somewhat unoptimistic that all this will make uh, any difference. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think there's some good... Uh, look, I'm, I'm a little know. bit different. I do think there's some good things happening. Um, I'm not suggesting that every company's perfect, not not at all. But I think there are there is some awareness. There are some people making changes. Um, the more we focus on those and give voice to those, and, you know, I, I know myself because I'm limited in what I can write about, I get... Um, I have certain parameters that we cover in the the tech publications I write for. Mm. Um, I can't spend a lot of time writing about, you know, for example, diversity scholarships or other great work that's happening, mentoring. But, you know, I know it is happening. And yeah. I know that there's a, oh, a lot of people yeah. put it doing, I, doing free you've, work. You, and good you've work. just illustrated the problem itself. Is like I know. <laughs> the, again, it's this kind of echo chambers. It's like I even know. the people talking about echo chambers are talking to echo chambers. <laughs> it's it, like, yeah, oh, I yeah, mean, bravo, very well said, very well said. But the people who actually need to read it and think about it don't read it and think about it. So well, <laughs> it's like, it's like the co-working yeah. space we're at, you know, when, and we've talked about this as well. Like there's a women's group and there's been lots of kind of interest in, uh, you know, doing doing sessions and get-togethers for women to support each other in tech because in in some verticals it can be a very lonely space when it's just Mm. you and a group full of men who talk to each other and not you or what have you um and you know what what often comes up is people say well you know we should make this inclusive to men so the men that need to learn can come along and learn and most of us will end up saying well they're not going to (laughs) come if they don't if they the ones that come will be the ones that are aware it's a problem and already are doing exactly and i think this feeds this feeds into experiences we've had in previous lives. We yeah. often discovered that the best way to affect change was not through some big sweeping grandiose gesture, but mm-hmm. actually just little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit, huh? talking about it every, in everything you do, embedding it in everything. Yeah, embedding. And, and I think sometimes you need to be reminded message. of that, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think that kind of our, our key things we've been talking about today, the check your privilege mm. and the embedding of diversity so that it's not... It's not an afterthought. And there's one thing I, I did want well, to the, say. The that embedding, I'm going to even generalise it even more and say the embedding of conscientious thinking. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it, there's one thing I'd like to say as well, and this is something that I always think a lot. Um, what When we talk about diversity in tech and people from diverse backgrounds or cultures or um, differences, however you want to put it, um, I really want them to talk about things besides their difference. You know, mm, mm. it's nothing worse than when you go to a tech conference and they've got, oh, you know, we've got some women. We'll do a women in tech panel. That can be the way we'll, we'll fix that one. Yeah. It's like, why? Why aren't women talking about what they're doing as a job? Yeah. Like everyone yeah. else, they're talking again, about it's the, it's the UX or again. programming yeah. or yeah, whatever yeah, it is, you yeah, know. Exactly. So exactly. important. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's one that I would really like to see more of. Yeah. All right, Kate. Well, we've been talking for nearly an hour. It's an Gosh, interesting we've been topic. talking a lot, haven't we? I don't think we've really reached any conclusions. <laughs> We're not yeah. even drinking wine this time, so it's not like I can blame it on the wine. <laughs> I think the only real constructive conclusion is embed it little bit by little bit, maybe. Mm, That's probably the mm. most constructive conclusion. Check your privilege and embed it incrementally. Tech your privilege. <laughs> oh, that's a bit the, of a pun. As was the pun on my, my article from a year ago. Okay. Very good. How can the people find out more about you, Kate? Uh, they can go to katelawrence.com or they can go to kate underscore lawrence on Twitter. And how do they spell Kate Lawrence? Kate with a C, Lawrence with a W. Exactly. And I am christianchiller.com or at Chris Chidge on Twitter. 
And for previous shows and show notes, you can go to gregariousmammal.com slash podcast. And if you've enjoyed the show, rate it on any of your podcatching software that you use and support the show through donations or merchandise at gregariousmammal.com slash podcast. And we will see you all. We won't see you. You will hear us all again soon. <laughs> yes, you will hear us very soon. And um, it'll be a little bit different next time because we won't be in our apartment um, in multiple rooms. Chris will be in Australia for a few weeks. I will so indeed. I will be upside down You will be down talking from down under. <laughs> and talking around the other way and all that. Oh, that's quirky. <laughs> No, um, not like I've heard that joke before. <laughs>